When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into episode 116 of the Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. Whether you're watching live on Facebook, watching archived on YouTube, listening on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts, however you consume the Tech Sideline podcast, we are so glad that you could join us today as we record on February 10th, Monday morning of February the 10th, and we have a lot to talk about today. First off, we're going to start by talking about Virginia Tech men's basketball. They dropped their fifth straight game to Boston College in overtime on Saturday. Saturday, but Landers Nolly really stood out, and we're going to be talking about Landers Nolly and the rest of the Tech basketball team. Virginia Tech women's basketball is now in fourth place of the ACC, and they are in the projected field of the NCAA tournament. We'll be talking a little bit about Virginia Tech women's basketball, but the majority of our time today will be spent talking about Virginia Tech football and Justin Fuente's press conference from last week. We'll be talking about the transfer portal, scholarships on roster, and at the end of the podcast, are we really going to be talking about the XFL? That's right, we will. A couple of former Hokies playing in the XFL. That's all coming up on episode 116 of the Tech Sideline podcast, which is brought to you each and every week by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm, dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their office in Blacksburg, they are able to serve the entire Commonwealth of Virginia. Whether you were charged with driving under the influence or speeding, the Fisher Law Firm realizes that each case is important to the client. To date, the firm has defended more than 30,000 people charged with moving violations. For a free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll free at 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031. Or you can email them at info at fisherlegal.com. Here we are. <laughs> Welcome. Good morning. February 10th, episode 116. You, you might have set the record for longest intro. I'm sorry, that was yeah, kind of long. long. I don't know. You did a good job. It, it was good. It was very uh, good. Just try, you know, just try and set the scene. What's coming up? You and, know? And, he, and he held his concentration. I as, did. As, you, as This Is Gnome came in. This Is Gnome. See, see, this is all part of the education of Evan Hughes. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those <laughs> of you who are just listening, as Evan was doing the intro, I was bobbing this is gnome around and in front of the camera and interfering with his field of view you know what i like though it helps me smile because you made me laugh a little bit so i was smiling as i was looking at the camera so i appreciate that again we're glad you're with us monday morning february 10th episode 116 of the tech sideline podcast we've got the best producer in the land malcolm stewart with us behind the scene on the podcast set our founder and general manager will stewart our managing editor chris coleman and i'm your podcast host evan hughes uh guys great to be with you how was your weekend gosh how was it no, mine was uneventful, so good. Did to, uh, Tottenham play this weekend? No, they were off. Oh, they were off, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Got we, a we, break. went to an open house yesterday in Blacksburg to look at a house. We're, we're not in the market. We just wanted to go look at the kitchen there. Uh-huh. I believe the road is called Woodland Road. There's a house down there that is for sale. It's close to $500,000. Hokie Stone mm. on the outside. It's got a front door that says, this is home with a Hokie bird on it, stained glass. Oh, this is Gnomes over here. 
and you go in and it's got a Beamer signed jersey and a Bruce Smith signed jersey hanging on the wall. That's enough to sign me up. And the real estate agent told us that this house was purchased as a basically a tailgate house. And so it was Where was it? Woodland Road, I think, oh, is right. so that is the how do I put this? I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this. It's the intersection of 114 and West Campus Drive. What is 114? Price's uh, Price Fork? Fork. Price okay, Fork. Okay. Sorry, not 114. Price's Fork. Price's Fork and West Campus Drive. So it's it's the corner of um, the campus as you after you pass by the. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's not the Alumni Center. What's it called? Uh, the Conference Center. The Skelton. What? And your aren't your parents? Uh, buying over there somewhere we actually just uh, we just bought a house off of uh behringer yeah so that's in it. that area yeah, yeah. Oh. So, so it's right so at that, at that yeah. uh, intersection instead of taking a right on west campus drive and going down towards the uh, duck pond if you take a left i believe that's called wood 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 oh, something okay wood yeah, land. that's right over by campus um, yeah. yeah and so there's a house for sale down there that's been uh Kind of, kind of tricked up uh, and not, not egregiously. Oh, so. look at that, Malcolm! Yeah, so pulls Malcolm, it up on the, <laughs> Malcolm pulls job, it up Malcolm. on the. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, not five hundred thousand, seven hundred and fifty thousand. Right. So, so go back and show the. Yeah. Wow, look at that! All right, so for those that are listening, I mean, it is. So Malcolm, go back. State of the art. Go it back seems to the nice. external. I can't view. see it. <laughs> see, it just looks like a gray house looking at it that way, but right. when you get up on it, it's hokey. Style. I don't know. I think somebody owes us some money for some advertising here. Yeah, yeah. we can uh, buy a tailgate house here. At I, I, I got fifty bucks. Says this is one of our subscribers. Look at that. Keep <laughs> that right there. You got the uh, the uh, lunch pail lunch, as the mailbox. Lunch pail mailbox. That's right. All right, there we go. Okay, so that's what we're gonna put all of our money towards now here at Textile. We're gonna buy this. Uh, this tailgate house. So if you suddenly get some interest on this house and it sells, we get a commission. There we go. 10%. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's yeah. part of what we did this weekend. Well, uh, as well, I, I'm starting to get in the habit of, I always like to uh, recap what's going on at techsideline.com, the beginning of the podcast. We've got some great content on there right now. It's a great time to be car- become a part of the Tech Sideline family. $84.99 is the annual price, $849 the monthly price, $29.99 the student price. Uh, Will, uh, uh Great content up, Chris. I know you had the, uh, the official law firm Friday Q&A on uh, Friday, which I highly encourage. That's one of the uh, perks of being a subscriber. You get the Q&A, and you go in detail uh, every week on some great topics. I remember, oh, gosh, I guess I've been doing that for like at least 10 years now. And I remember it, for a while I kind of got – it was hard to come up with content. So I thought of that, and I was like, this is an easy way to where – it's I, a crutch. Yeah. 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 I don't have to think about things to talk about. They can just ask questions. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. And, and everybody, the other writers call it like Andy Bitter calls it his mailbag. Uh, most guys call it a mailbag. Yeah. yeah. They take questions and answer them. It's a good way to generate content without having to come up with your own ideas. And a lot of the questions are really good. Yeah, are. You're like, yeah. oh, yeah, I should answer that. Yep. And of course, one of the perks of being a subscriber, the TSL subscriber board, Will. Yes. Um, we, we have. Many years ago, the free board was more active than the subscriber board, and that has changed. Mm-hmm. As social media has sucked the people off of the free board, the uh, subscriber board has stayed uh, pretty active. So if you're not a subscriber and you're looking at the free football board and you're going, why would I subscribe to this mess? Um, it's a different animal. Yeah, it really is. You know, and, and that's a thing that's evolved over the years. I used to tell people all the time there's really not that much difference. Well, there is now. Uh, a huge know? difference. 
Yeah. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's, we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, eighty four ninety nine the annual price, eight forty nine the monthly price, twenty nine ninety nine the student price. It's a great time to become part of the Tech Sideline family. Make sure you're following us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Tech Sideline. All right, let's go ahead and jump into our first topic of the day. We're going to start on the hardwood. Virginia Tech men's basketball looked to snap a four-game losing streak on Saturday, hosting Boston College. It was close. It was entertaining. But the Hokies fall 77-73 in overtime despite a strong performance from freshman Landers Nolly, who recorded a double-double scoring 29 points. Will, I'll start with you. What has happened to Virginia Tech over the last two weeks in the middle of this five-game losing streak? The uh, biggest thing is, is they're not shooting as well. Um, and, and everybody says, well, the other teams have figured out to zone them and extend their defense out because Tech really isn't adept at driving in the middle, et cetera, et cetera. We've talked about all that. But it's also true that when they're getting good looks, they're not making them like, like they were earlier. And they can't get more than one or two guys to shoot well from behind the three-point line. So you look, at, you look at that Boston College game. Boston College is a 30% three-point shooting team. They shot 38%. They made and, some tough ones as a shot clock some of the shots they down. tossed in were, yeah. were pretty impressive. Virginia Tech, I don't know their team stat from three-point range. It's probably still 35% plus. They shot something like 30%. Well, they started off hot. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and I got that. They were shooting 62% from the field for a good chunk of the first half. Yeah, they were up 22 to 12, you know, and you thought, finally, these guys are going to have a good game. Mm -hmm. Tech shot 43% from the field, 53% in the first half. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so – you know, you can get bogged down in all the details, but I remember one moment of the game. This was in overtime when Tech went up 73-70. to 70. Um, And at some point, in, and, and then gave up seven straight points in overtime to lose 77-73. But at one point in overtime, Boston College made a three-pointer and Tech came down and missed a three-pointer. And it's a 45-minute game. It doesn't come down to um, two shots. You can cherry-pick any two shots. But to me, that's just kind of a symptom of what's going on. BC made a play and Tech didn't. And that's mm -hmm. kind of been, except for the North Carolina game, that's been the theme. Yeah. yeah um, it's not, with the exception of the Georgia Tech game, it's not like Tech hasn't been competitive yeah. in this five-game losing streak. They've, had, they've been in all those games. Uh, you know, they lost by, double, by 11 to Florida State. And Florida State is a top-10 team. Yeah, they're they're, really, they're yeah. a really good team. Um, but Tech, you know, could have conceivably won those other games. Um, could have won either one of the BC games for sure. Miami. Uh, they, they led probably 70% of both of those BC games yeah. combined and ended up losing both of them. So, you know, it's not like they've hit the wall to the point where they're getting run off the court. Yeah. Uh, they did against Georgia Tech, but other than that, they've, they've been competitive. I, I think – I bet if you, if you did the math – that 80% of Virginia Tech's minutes are being played by six freshmen and a 6'5 center. Yep. Right? And we're, that's we're, where we are. With the, with the other 20% of the minutes being played by Beattie and, and Wilkins. And, and that's just the way it is. If, if Virginia Tech had a normal team with, with sophomores and juniors and maybe one or two seniors, and we played a team that, had, that was playing six freshmen and a 6'5 center for 30 minutes, we would expect to smash that team, yeah. right. would we not? I mean, there's a reason this team was picked to finish next to last. It's because teams that are made up, that are composed of players, the type that Virginia Tech has right now, normally don't do well yeah. in ACC play. So I think this team won some games early, and that elevated the expectations of the fan base and to an unreasonable level to a certain extent. 
uh, they're Gu- a victim guilty. of their own. Yeah. <laughs> guilty as charged. They're, they're, uh, yeah, and I, I, I really wanted Tech to do well on everything, but I didn't want to be that guy who got who said in an article or, or on television, for lack of a better word, that I didn't think they were that good because yeah. I didn't think they were that good. Yeah. But you sound like a jerk if you say that when they're fourteen and five, sure. right? Um, I don't know. This they're still they still they're still playing better than I thought they would all year, even yeah. when they're losing. Even at fourteen ten. Um, yeah, I just did not think this team would be very good, and, and honestly, they're not very good. But they've gotten the most out of their ability, I think. And and again, go back to what Leonard Hamilton said after the Florida State game. He said teams are taking Virginia Tech seriously now. Yeah. Um, he said Florida State won that game because Florida State was focused, and basically implied that. Devin Maybe Vassell. earlier in the season, Florida State wouldn't have been so focused on Virginia Tech. Um, so, I, I think it's just so many different factors. And I, I, I feel like we're, we had this exact same conversation last week. We're probably going to have the exact same conversation next week. I don't think anything. I don't think anything's going to change between so, now and the end of the yeah. season. I mean, Tech Tech will win a couple more games, I think. But I don't think the overall conversation changed. Yeah, so so Evan asked us before we went on the air. He's like, really, what can we say that's different? And I said, one of the things you can say is different is that Landers Nolly, mm-hmm. 29 points, 11 rebounds, 12 of 22 from the field. I've been tracking this lately. That's the first time he's shot over 50% since the BYU game in November. Wow. Yeah, I, I want to say something and that's like – that's great. I want to say something like mm-hmm. seven out of his – Six of his last eight games, maybe or so, have been below forty percent. Have been pretty hideous. I mean, yeah, they've been terrible, <laughs> yeah. quite frankly. But, but again, that that's why I was disappointed to lose that one because of how well he played. Yeah, that was a shame. Yeah, yeah, because really he did. hadn't been playing well recently, and then he finally comes out of a shell, plays a really good game, and, and Tech yeah. still. Loses. And and he is still so when, when they start getting mired in these losing streaks, you, you start watching the body language and the chemistry and those sorts of things. And those are all still good to me. Yeah, yeah. Nolly Nol- is hard. passing off. He's not yeah. being selfish. As a matter yeah. of fact, I leaned over to my buddy at one point in the game Saturday. I don't remember when. And I, and Nolly passed up a shot to somebody. I don't remember who who missed it. I think it was a layup, and they missed it. And I said, dude, you're Landers Nolly, and you're thinking to, my, you're thinking to yourself, why did I pass that ball? Oh, I know. I know. But, but uh, he does. He's, he's yeah. you know. I'm, like, I'm fine with where they are. Um I think I think they're they're still playing hard and everything like that. They've probably hit a wall mentally as far as learning the system and, and everything like that. They they've got some guys playing in roles that they otherwise wouldn't be playing. Like PJ Horn, he's playing thirty minutes a game as a six five center. He should be playing fifteen twelve to fifteen minutes a game as a backup power forward. He he you know, there was somebody on the boards yesterday complaining about his energy level and everything like that and it's like well, if, if he was in his proper role as a backup power forward, if the guy he was going up against was 6'7 instead of 6'11, yeah. if any, and he could come in for 12 to 15 minutes a game and be the energy guy off the bench, that's his ideal role. Yeah. But instead, you know, he's got to go for 30 minutes against dudes way bigger yeah. than him, and it's tough to conserve your, your energy um, for for spurts, yeah. you know, like as, as you could if you were coming off the bench. So I just, I just think – in that role, he's, you know, by necessity, he's being played out of position. Maybe that's different next year with Aluma and with Ojiako. I, I do want to talk a little bit about Ojiako because I, I had a thought, and I'm sure some Tech fans have had the same thought. Real quick, Ojiako playing six minutes on Saturday against Boston How many College. fouls did he pick up in those six minutes? He had two fouls. They were, they were, very, they were very quick, too. Yeah. Um, 
I found myself thinking because you know scouts. Uh, I've had multiple scouts say that he's he's got a chance to be a really good player. That he might be the most talented player on the team. Like as far as in, NBA chances, he's got a better chance at the NBA long term than Nolly. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Young has said he's got a chance to be a great player and all that stuff. So I found myself in the Boston College game sitting there watching him. And I'm like, this guy really hasn't developed since the start of the season. And before I said anything, before I went to the boards and wrote about it, I said, let me do a little research. And uh, uh, so I'll, you remember Hadim C. Yeah. Okay. He's still playing. He's at Mississippi State he, right now, uh, I think. Or Ole Miss. Miss. Sorry. Yeah, him and Kerry Blackshear went head-to-head on Saturday. Isn't um, Hadim C. like 40 years old now? Hey, I think he's a redshirt <laughs> junior. Uh, wow. But, but, okay. All right, all right, Richard, po- Richard, Richard, Richard Jr. Po- the point I'm making here. Uh, <laughs> would you have ever expected – Hadim C. to make three-pointers in college basketball games, from what you remember of him. Uh, yeah, he just didn't look like he was going anywhere to me. Right. Well, guess what? He makes three-pointers for Ole Miss. Uh, would you ever have guessed Hadim C. would be above a 70% free-throw shooter? Remember, he is 90 years old. He's been playing a lot of basketball. <laughs> well, my point being is he looked like he had no skill at all when he was a, when he was a young player at Tech, right? Uh, he's he's a nine-and-a-half point, six-rebound-a-game guy for, for Ole Miss now. Wow. Ole, uh, uh, Ole Miss. Mm. I think I said. Did I say Mississippi State? No, no, you said Ole Miss. Okay, I said uh, Mississippi State. I must, yeah. One of those schools, but anyway, uh, <laughs> the Egg Bowl. Big guys in basketball, they're kind of like offensive linemen. They might take longer to develop. So the the Ojiako you see right now might resemble the Hadim C that you saw as a freshman at Tech. But remember how much C, how, how much he has clearly developed. Unfortunately, not at Virginia Tech. It's come somewhere else. I thought he was completely flat at Tech. I didn't think he developed at all. See, uh, yeah. In, in the brief time he was here. Well, and you're right. Like, by the end of that first year, I was like, I don't know what buzz sees in this guy. It just doesn't look like he has much potential. But I, I think it just takes big guys. A lot of them come in raw. A lot of those big guys, they might hit, like, a growth spurt and go from, like, 6'3 to 6'9 in a matter of a year. And they have to completely relearn how to use their bodies in a different position like a lot of them might, might have been a guard earlier in their career and then boom just like that you're six nine now you're in the post right not to mention that this is a nigerian kid who only started playing basketball like two years ago yep two or three uh, years ago so i i i know that wasn't on wasn't yeah. on the agenda today but you're I saying had, be patient i'm saying be patient it's yeah. it's a shame he had to play it all this year. I know. know. I really if if Blackshear had come back, they could have redshirted him. Yeah. And, and now does have a pretty sweet little post move. Yeah, you know, I mean he, he his his talents there and everything, but to me but, this the, this program is about player development in the off season. Buzz Williams was a and his staff they were genius at player development. Look at all of Virginia Tech's players in the Buzz Williams era, and every one of them got better. Yeah. Throughout the course of four years, every single one of them. Um, except for Adim C. Except for Adim. Well, <laughs> well he, he also fair, transferred. To yeah, be yeah. fair, you know, he was only on the team for a year. But uh, Mr. In and Out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Will, one, one player I want to uh, ask you about was Naheem Aline uh, on Saturday. 16 points, had two free throws at the end of the game to send it to overtime. Yeah. Uh, it felt like he had kind of hit a little bit of a wall at the beginning of ACC play. But over the last two, three weeks or so, he's turned into a serious scoring threat for Virginia Tech. Yeah, he he had it going on early, and uh, it's it's a shame they they couldn't keep that going because, in the final analysis, they they basically had Nolly, and that was about it. I don't remember anybody else who was who was playing particularly well. Aline played well, shot well. I don't know about playing well, shot well. Started off shooting well. Yeah, D- didn't shoot as well in the second half. Yeah. He he he's one of those guys who kind of gets streaky. I think. Yeah. Like he'll got five minute stretch where he goes off, and then 
doesn't do a lot the rest of the quiet for a while. But that'll get better yeah, as, that, get, yeah, as he gets fun. older, we hope. Yeah. And then, Chris, one question I want to ask you about. You look at the box score from this game, and maybe this is just me looking at the pure numbers, but I did find it interesting because we've talked a lot about the depth and the ability to bring in guys off the bench for this team. The five starters of Nolly, Aline, Radford, Beatty, and Horn all logged over 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then the bench, Cone, 16, Wilkins, 12, Couture, 15. Any reason for the short bench that Mike Young went with on Saturday? Any reason that yeah, Horn, Beatty, Radford, Aline, Nolly all play over 30, but then the closest is Cone with 16? Most college coaches will only play about seven or eight guys. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, when, when Tech plays nine, it's – I think the norm is probably eight and a half, if yeah. I had to guess, for for a college rotation. I, just, I was looking at this thing, and Cohen might have – I was surprised he didn't get more than 16 minutes. Yeah, I, uh, I think with Cohen it kind of depends on the matchup. The thing you have to think about with regards to Cohen is when Cohen and Horn are on the, on, on the court at the same time, then you've got the shortest guard in the country and the shortest center on the country at the, on the court at the exact same time. Now, I would say in the ACC. We don't know about the country. I would say the country. 350 teams. I mean, combined, me, combined together. You're telling me there isn't a Shanta Rogers out there running around for somebody? <laughs> I'm telling you there's no other 6'5 center. Do you really get that reference? No, I have no idea who that is. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I was, just, I was but, trying to help the cause here and laugh. But com- combined with a 6'5 center? I know. I hear you. Yeah. That, uh, that combo, So, correct. So that is, that's, a, that's just a difficult thing to, to combine together, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I like both of those guys. Um, I, I just think – you know, Virginia Tech, they, they call you see, you see them. You see them how they play defense. They collapse down in the paint because it's tough for him to guard guys who yeah. are five inches taller than him. And it leaves a lot of wide-open three-pointers. Um, so when you play Cone and Horn at the same time, you know, you double down on your shortness, I guess. Um, so I don't know. I guess I'm not, not too surprised. It, it's varied from a game-by-game basis. The, I wish Ojiako was to the point where he could play a little more and – Horn didn't have to play 30-plus minutes per game. What, what Ojiaka is just a big defensive liability. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, you know, you would like him to come in there and protect the rim, but if you watch him, he loses positioning so much on defense. So yeah. even if he came in and got you a block shot or two, he's going to give that up by just being out of position. Yeah. Um, so Getting beat on the pick and roll and things yeah. like that. So Virginia Tech – Again, on a five-game losing streak, they fall to Boston College 77-73. to In overtime on Saturday, the Hokies now sit 14-10 and overall, 5-8 and in ACC, ACC play. Final word on men's basketball because we've got a lot more to get to here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. The Hokies do have, I guess what they kind of call is like a bye, yeah. uh, bye week sort of, and the fact that Tech doesn't play for a full week. No, no weekday so, games. Yeah. No weekday game. Tech plays at home against Pittsburgh on Saturday. And Will, I'll ask you this. With so We talk so much about the youth on this team, and some people use the term freshman wall if that's even a thing. But how important is this timing now for Tech where they could just – take a deep breath and have a week to uh, regather before Pittsburgh. I, I think they need a win, you know, and, and I'm not talking about for the fan base. We, we all get it, but these guys, they're, they're playing hard and they got really close the other day. I think they need a win, so it's important. Pitt is, you know, at this point it doesn't matter how good anybody is or isn't. Miami, Boston College, they've lost to BC twice and Miami once. Pitt, and Pitt's, these aren't good basketball teams. Pitt's actually Pitt, better. Pitt's than, 15 and 9. Yeah, the, the, so um, Jeff Capel's got them. Uh, and I'll, I know one of their games, uh, I normally don't get on officials, but they absolutely lost Louis- one of those games because of the Louisville game. horrible defense. Horrible oh, I remember I mean, just yeah. terrible. Yeah. Um, 
kind of it was w- probably worse than the non-call in uh, Duke and UNC over the weekend. Mm. Um, so it's it was, uh, it was, it's six p.m. on Saturday. So uh, get out there and pregame. <laughs> Be loud. Go to that hokey uh, house on uh, whatever road, right? Go to the tailgate house you were just telling us about. That's not up for me to offer. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Although cool. the agent that was doing the open house did say that they had an, an open house tailgate last fall. She said we had it catered. There were a lot of people here having a lot well, of fun. Let's give, let's give them a call and see if they'll do it for basketball season. Never know. Uh, so, again, the Hokies play Pittsburgh on Saturday. Quickly, want to transition Stay on the hardwood, men's basketball to women's basketball. We're going to talk about football here in just a moment. But Virginia Tech women's basketball putting together a pretty strong campaign under Coach Kenny Brooks in his fourth season. Virginia Tech goes on the road, knocks off North Carolina on Sunday. They sweep the Tar Heels. They beat them earlier in January inside of Castle Coliseum. And this is a team that's now, again, tied for fourth in ACC right now. They are in the projected NCAA tournament field. They're 7-5 and five in ACC play. That is the most wins by a Virginia Tech women's basketball team since entering the ACC in 2004. Wow. Uh, overall or in the league? In the league. Really? Seven is the most? Yeah. yeah. And there's still a, a bunch of games to Yeah, go. they're 17-6 and six overall, 7-5 and five in the league. Again, the most league win since joining the conference. And I want to say they're back there at the beginning, though. It was only a 14-game schedule, and now it's an 18-game yeah. schedule. Yeah, they're not 20 like the men. Like, um, I want to say like 18, they were like 6-8. Yeah. and eight. So, so my, my DVR automatically records the women's basketball games if they're on. So I, I, what I do is I speed through the first three quarters and kind of keep track of the score. And, you know, Tech led most of the way. And then I watch the fourth quarter. And uh, that, that's a big win because UNC was a, a, a notch above them in the standings. Yep. And that knocked them down below and put Tech up in fourth. Um, UNC was horrendous in the fourth quarter. They had three points in like the first eight minutes of the fourth quarter, you know. So that helped, and I don't know how much of that was Tech's defense or whatever, but yeah, that's so we've we've gotten a little bit of a hard time. I've gotten a couple of emails and things like that. Hey, why aren't you covering women's basketball this year? Um, all right, I'll 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 be honest about it because the pattern in recent years was do great out of conference and then get stomped in conference. Well, start off like last year. <clears throat> What they start off like zero and seven, zero and seven, and, like, and then and finish like, six and ten, and like five or six of those games they were leading in the fourth quarter. Right, one yeah. of them they were leading by like fifteen or sixteen. It, no, it was the UVA game yeah. at UVA. They and, were up, they, I think, almost twenty. Right, and almost and lost. Yeah, yeah, and so and so that seven and five ACC record includes a collapse against Syracuse where they led by something like sixteen yeah. points in the third quarter. Um, so we, I've just been a little gun shy covering them until, um, and, you know, people aren't going to like this and, until. They've shown that this is just another one of those, right? And it doesn't appear to be. I think they're past that point. So, yeah, we got to hit up Jake Lyman and, and Corey Van Dyke and um, get him to do an update because I, I I think it's time to engage and pay attention. And we were talking about it before Christmas, and then Christmas break happened, and they were gone for a month. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. And then you know, Fonte Beller, blah blah blah. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, no, so, I mean, but I will say, if, you, if you've never watched this team before, Tech Women's Basketball, I highly encourage you to watch them because they play an exciting brand of basketball. I mean, they are they love to shoot the three ball. They are quick in transition. They play a high-tempo, up-tempo uh, up offense. And, uh, I mean, 
I, I think that this team can make a make a little. I mean, Louisville and NC State. It's a really good ACC conference. But this this team's good. They, yeah. they get hot in the NCAA tournament, which I think they're going to make it. I mean, they've got some they've got some players. And Kenny Brooks, you look at his recruiting class. He brought in this year Elizabeth Kitley, a top fifty freshman center. And then next year, what he's got coming in, mean, he's recruiting at a high level. So um, I'm I'm excited for them. I think that they've got uh, a really good team this year. I like Kitley in the post. They came back from from a commercial at one point yesterday, and and they'd put together a highlight package of her post moves. And you see one move, you see another, mm-hmm. you see another. You see another. I was like, wow, that's a long yeah. highlight package. Yeah, I mean, her. And then they brought in a transfer, Taj Cole, who was at Louisville and then Georgia. She's from L.C. Burt High School in Richmond. She's been great this year. I mean, I, I can talk about guard, this right? team. What's that? Point guard? Yes. Yeah, she's yep. quick. She's so quick in transition. And then Dare Mabry's a great shooter. Asia Shepard's a great shooter. I could talk about this team on and on. But, again, keep an eye on them. Seven and five in ACC play. And so uh, so six games remaining and four of those six against teams lower than them in the standings. I believe so. Let me pull up their schedule so real they, they quick. So they could conceivably go four and two down the stretch, let's just say. I, I took and, a look. Right they're finished so 11 they, and seven. They go, let's see. They host Georgia Tech on Thursday. That is a winnable game. Mm-hmm. Then they go to Wake Forest on Sunday, one of the worst teams in the ACC. Then uh, at Notre Dame next Thursday. Typically, Notre Dame is a national title contending team. This year, they are not good. They lost everybody. Yeah. So this is not the typical Notre Dame that you hear. But that's a winnable game for them at Notre Dame. And then next Sunday, home against Virginia, who they beat in Charlottesville earlier. Uh, Duke, who they lost to in overtime at home and then at Louisville who's the top team in the ACC right. to close the close the regular season. So, you know, it's it's a pretty friendly schedule the rest I would say of the best way. case scenario though is probably 5 and 1. Yeah. And and but probably 4 and 2 probably yeah. most likely. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, that's the update on Virginia Tech men's and women's basketball. Again, we're rolling episode 116 <laughs> of the Tech Sideline podcast. We're going to step aside for a break, but when we come back, we turn our attention to Virginia Tech football. We discuss Justin Fuente's press conference on Wednesday. We'll talk about the transfer portal, scholarships on roster, and players tweeting like Dalton Keene, Christian Daresaw, and Josh Fuga. All that and more coming up on the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at fisherlegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go Hokies. Welcome back into the Tech Sideline podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. We're so glad you're with us as we record on Monday morning, February 10th, episode 116 of the Tech Sideline podcast. We've got Malcolm Stewart, Will Stewart, Chris Coleman, Evan Hughes along with you on the Tech Sideline podcast. Transitioning now, talking about Virginia Tech basketball to discussing Virginia Tech football. And last Wednesday was the National Signing Day period in February press conference that uh, is annually done by coaches and it was the first time that Virginia Tech coach Justin Fuente addressed the media following uh, the uh, flirtation is that the a word dalliance. A, I call it a dalliance a dalliance I like dalliance that word with Baylor a dalliance with Baylor it was the first time that he publicly spoke to the media and we can talk about that in just a minute Justin Fuente was actually pretty candid and very um, I thought pretty 
opening about what everything happened, and he talked about how in nine years as a coach, he's talked to two schools, and that was Virginia Tech, and that was Baylor, and how he's excited for the upcoming season. But that was not the, the, the story of the press conference. We can talk about that in a minute. I'm going to take you through an exchange that happened during the press conference. We're going to get Will and Chris's thoughts on this. It regards the transfer portal. It did make national headlines, but I want to make sure we get the quotes from Fuente and the questions from the press conference. So, question to Fuente in the press conference on Wednesday. Quote, um, with any of the kids who have entered the transfer portal, have any of them decided to return? Fuente, quote, we're not doing that. We've talked about it. We'll take all of them on a case-by-case basis, but we're moving forward. Oh, hang on. That's not the full quote. Here's what I've got. No, we're not doing that, Fuente said. We talked about that. We talked about it as a team. We talked about Hendon and Deshaun last year and how that was me not doing a job educating them. We'll take all of them on a case-by-case basis, but we're moving forward. Thank you. So that's a full quote. Sorry. And then a follow-up question was, quote, when you say you're not doing that, you mean you're not taking any of them back. Fuente, quote, correct. Correct. So... So I'll so let let yeah, me jump yes. in here and then I know Chris has some things to say too. So in these press conferences, um, <clears throat> the reporters sit there and, and a mic gets passed around and they ask questions. So a reporter will ask a question and then Coach Fuente will answer it and the mic will get handed to the next person. The person who just asked the question will typically start tweeting out what the coach's response to his question just was. That's difficult. I've sat in these press conferences and tried to do that. I've taken my laptop in or I've taken my phone in. I've logged onto the network and I will try to, you know, tweet out what a coach just said. I have been surprised how off my wording has been. And this is these are in cases in which I've used a quote. I've put quote, da 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 end quote. And I'll go back later and listen to the listen to what the coach actually said. And it's the, the gist of it is the same as what I tweeted out, but it's not the exact quote. So I quit doing that. I'm like, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm just going to sit here and listen, pay attention, and then afterwards somebody will write this up for us or I'll write it up. So that's, that's what you're, you know, if you're just watching the press conferences, you don't know that that's what's going on. Ask a question, listen to the answer, type it up while another question's getting asked. And you might want to sort of listen to what coach is saying there and you get distracted and you look at, the, oh, can I have the mic next and keep tweeting? So that's what happens during these things. So a lot of things get tweeted out that aren't precise in the moment, okay? That is not an indictment of what I'm about to just read. I'm just telling you that that's the environment and that's what guys are doing. So Mike Barber tweets out, uh, Hokies coach Justin, Mike Barber, the Richmond Times Dispatch, Hokies coach Justin Fuente said, players who enter the transfer portal are not welcome back. Indicates that was a lesson he learned from the experience last offseason. That's not an exact quote. But this kind of thing gets tweeted all the time during a press conference, and nobody thinks anything of it. Correct. Oh, but my, isn't that juicy? So guess who's got an agenda out there in the world beyond our our usual world of the guys that sit in that room with Justin Fuente? Somebody sniffed that out over at ESPN. Mm -hmm. Oh, look at that. I follow Mike Barber on Twitter. Look at what Justin Fuente said. So next thing you know, you've got a headline on ESPN. Justin Fuente, colon, Hokies and Transfer Portal will not be allowed to return. 
Oh, that's juicy because our agenda is that the student athlete is being unfairly taken advantage of, and that fits the profile of our agenda. Let's run with that. So Malcolm's got that, that article, that ESPN article, up on the television monitor right now. And I can tell you that the, the original version of that, this version in the fourth paragraph has that quote from Puente that we just read. The original version did not have that quote. Right. The original version was quoteless. But my, that headline was juicy. Oh, let's run that. And then let's put it on the bottom line and scroll it across the bottom line. Virginia Tech head coach Justin Puente says players in the transfer portal are not welcome back. Yum, yum, yum. That's super clickbait. And then it gets, it's not just clickbait, it gets picked up by the talk shows, and off we go, we're off to the races, and then people start circling back around later. And if it's funny, if you go and you actually read that article right now on ESPN, it's not that juicy. Right. Headline's still juicy, though. So this is what happened, you know, and, and these how these things unfold, and that's my soliloquy slash rant, so I, th- I think Chris had something to add about that, about the... Uh, Specifically about Hannon and Deshaun. Yeah. Um, Fuente's a good communicator with his players. Um, at the end of every year, he's always had a individual meeting with each and every one of them to let them know where they stand in the program, what they need to do better, what they're doing well, uh, the future the coaches see for them in terms of playing time, everything like that. It's, it's, it, he's very open with his players as far as that goes. Um the transfer portal, I think, caught him by surprise. Uh, I, I think that individual meeting in the past has probably always been held in January when they come back after the bowl game. But the fact that these guys are in the transfer portal so early these days. Right as classes right start. Right as classes start. You know, he said, we talked about Hendon Hooker and Sean McLeese last year and how that was me not doing a good job educating them. In other words, the conversation wasn't really had with those guys before they entered the portal. Because the portal was new. It was new to everybody. Nobody knew what to expect. Uh, you know, I wasn't necessarily looking for guys to be entering the portal in mid-January. I figured they'd all announce it. You know, the bowl game's December 31st or whatever it was last year. If anybody's going to enter it, you hear it within a few days, and, and it's over with. Um but that, that's not that's not what happens. Um, so I think he learned from that, and I think that conversation has been pushed up as, as a result. It's taking place during bowl practice now in the month of December instead of in mid, mid to late January. So anybody who enters the portal or decides not to enter the portal, everybody on the team has the information now in mid to late December. They have all their information Whereas last year, guys didn't really have it until mid to late January. The portal has caused that conversation to get pushed up. So basically what Fuente is saying is, okay, those guys entered the portal last year without really talking to me. Now I have now we're having the conversation with everybody. So anybody who enters the portal does so with 100% knowledge. I can't tell them anything that I haven't already told them. They're, once they're they making the, a more informed decision. They're making a more informed yeah. decision. So... As far as he's concerned, you know, he can't – it's not like – he can't go re-recruit him. He's already told him everything. Right. Right? He's already been up front with him, and they decided to enter the portal. So, yeah, I, I just think uh, he's not the greatest communicator when it comes to press conferences and things like that. But to me, I was in the room when, when all this was said. And 
And I, you, you didn't think anything I didn't, of I it. I didn't think anything of it. I, I, I took it exactly the way I think it was intended, that none of these guys in the portal this year are coming back, but in future years it would be handled on a case-by-case basis. And, uh, you know, one of the and, reasons here is uh, – I, I will. this is from Corey Van Dyke's article last week. Uh, here, here's a Fuente quote uh, from a different part of the press conference when, when asked if uh, – if he'd look, if Fuente would look for a graduate transfer to fill a hole left at wide receiver, um, he said we don't have a lot of room to play with in terms of the eighty-five, the eighty-five man scholarship limit, but we'll see moving forward. Um, that pretty much fits. I, I I did a scholarship count a few weeks back and was at eighty-one. Virginia Tech has since added uh, Dalen Wright, so now they're at eighty-two. Nice job pronouncing his name correctly. I know. Dalen Wright. I remembered it this time. Not Dalen, Dalen. Yep, so that's 82. So, of the five guys in the portal right now, Virginia Tech could only take three of them back if they they wanted to. At the most, yeah. At the most, because they want to add a graduate transfer receiver if they can find the right one, which would take them up to 83. And maybe even a graduate transfer defensive end would, would take them up to 84. So, I was told the day these five guys went into the pre- went into the portal, I was told by someone at Virginia Tech that of, of all f- five guys, the only one that had a chance to come back was was Hezekiah Grimsley, um, and that but you know that was still probably not going to happen. Right. But the thing is, I this was not new to the coaching staff. I mean, the coaching staff signed this past year's recruiting class knowing with full knowledge that they were going to lose players. Yeah. If you were a TSL subscriber. You knew that we were probably losing Khalil Ladler. Um, you knew that we were going to lose Hezekiah Grimsley if you're a TSL subscriber, right? Great and, time and to you, join. And you knew McLeese was, um, you know, right. we, we talked about right, it. Right, it right. would have been his sixth year. Sure. Right. Um, now, he's not in the portal. That's true. Um, but So, a lot of this you knew was coming, and, and Fuente knew it was coming. So, it wasn't a matter of, of him sitting down and having a conversation with these guys and telling them, you have a decision to make. It was telling them, look, Jacoby Pinckney, your work ethic wasn't good enough this first first semester. Uh, without drastic improvements of the way you do things, you do not have a chance to play here. And then with that information, Pinckney went into the transfer portal, and there was no Justin Fuente begging him to come back. Whereas last year, I think when McLeese and Hooker win, I, I, I'm guessing, you know, Chris may know better than I, I'm guessing Fuente went, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right. Like he never had a – there were some issues with McLeese, uh, Fuente has said, that he did not know about and <clears throat> did not know about until he sat down and talked to McLeese. And so, wasn't there also a story about how he went and sat with Hendon's family after Hendon went into the transfer portal? I don't know if he sat with them, but there were lots of uh, conversations. Right. I mean, I read the article last year about, you know, that interviewed Hooker's dad about yeah. about the portal situation with Hendon and everything like that. So. Yeah, like I said, I mean, the process has been pushed forward by a good month because of the transfer portal. So that that that's, you know, it's it's just the first year of the portal is new for everybody. Everybody has to learn how to handle it. Yeah. And again, I I missed that uh, that part in the middle, which was such an important quote, just about him talking to Hendon and McLeese, and uh, the case by case basis was a big part of that whole quote that I think really got overlooked he did say it is going to be a case-by-case basis but we're moving forward 
I just think it's a simple case of a national organization, again, with an agenda, seeing that tweet roll across and just jumping on it. Yeah, yeah. And I will, you know, so thinking about this too, you know, his first press conference, like we're talking about since the whole Baylor thing, it was certainly um, your your thoughts on on this happening, given the first time he was speaking after the Baylor situation and and now this, it just felt like it was, um, it was tough. It could have been a, and he handled the Baylor questions really well, it felt like. Yeah, um, I, I don't know that I have any real thoughts there other than, you know, when you take the fact that he talked to Baylor and was allowed to come back to, allowed, quote-unquote, to come back to Virginia Tech, but he's not allowing his players to come back out of the portal. It's juicy, man. They just jumped on it. It all goes hand-in-hand, hand, you know. And and everybody, it, it's funny because we, and we've talked about this before at Tech Sideline, you know, not to be too emphatic about it, we don't really, we don't really give a crap about being first about anything, you know, but that still drives a lot of larger media organizations, um, being first, being the first to say something. I remember reading a quote from a media member one time, and I think it centered on an NFL story, and, and it was a newspaper reporter who had been the first to reveal a huge story regarding a player. And he said something like, there's nothing more gratifying than coming into the next day and seeing everybody chase the story that you came up with. You know, beating his chest about, oh, look what I started. You know, and I'm not saying all reporters are guilty of that. I'm just saying that is still, this to me, this goes way back to when the way newspapers made money, in addition to advertising, was to actually sell newspapers. We hear you, hear you, read all about it. Guys standing out on the corner waving papers. They do a morning edition, then they get juicy stuff and run it in the afternoon edition and sell another paper. Being first and having something nobody else had mattered. And, you know, I don't know, in this day and age, it's just stuff gets around so quickly that... Everybody forgets who was first. It, it, it just doesn't, it, it doesn't motivate us here yeah. at Tech Sideline. But I, I do think that it's, it's still something that drives the newspaper reporters and, and maybe TV reporters, um, you know, out, out of scale to how other people cover things. And I also think that they are more likely to, to jump on each other's stories mm -hmm. and, and, and run them. And we started without a press pass, let's remember. So uh, it's not like we were going to uh – it's not like we were going to press conferences every week and things like that. Yeah. You know? I mean, we, we had we, to get, we got well, used to kind of sitting back and thinking about we, what was said. We had, yeah, happened. we didn't have much of a choice. We, we had to build our business on our opinions and our observations right. rather than getting a quote from Frank Beamer. A, amassing data, sifting right. through it right. and trying to put it in context right. as opposed to being first with it. Right. Yeah. And then that's a criticism that's sometimes levied at us. Um, not often, but people will occasionally tell us one way in which TechSideline can improve is to be more, quote, timely, unquote. Um, that's just not how we roll, you know. It's just not important to us. Let's talk a little bit about uh, over the weekend, a couple of players, and I guess technically former player Dalton Keene, uh, taking the social media. There was a lot of interaction uh, between the players, really voicing their opinion after Dalton Keene's tweet. And um, I want to re read this tweet that was tweeted, actually not at anybody. It was quoted by Dalton Keene. Was he quote tweeting someone else? Um, he was not. No, this was just so a, he just put it out. Yeah. So this okay. is a tweet from an account that said, "Quote: So Fuente knows people hate him within two years of being around him. So instead of improving his personality, now to wait, make, let's be clear. This is not Dalton. No, no. Keen. This is this is the account. 
Th- this, this is a this is the this is the the tweet that Dalton Keene later responds. I'm gonna, to. I'm yeah, gonna, yes. This is a person who is very anti Fuente. Correct. Just on, a random account, and actually, it's really called a burner account. It doesn't have anybody's name associated yeah, with yeah. it. It's just yeah. A, this is not a person correct. standing up saying this. Is, I'm going to get to Dalton Keene's response of this tweet in a minute. This is what Ooh. the burner account this this person said. Okay. Quote. So Fuente knows people hate him within two years of being around him. So instead of improving his personality to make people want to stay around, he decides to threaten kids to force them to stay in a bad and toxic situation. Close quote on that tweet from the random account. In comes Dalton Keene. That tweet was not tagged anybody. Dalton Keene sees this, responds to it. Quote from Dalton Keene on February 7th. Quote, Fuente is a coach that demands 100% out of his players every day. I don't think that makes it a toxic environment at all. And to be honest, I wouldn't want to play for a coach that would settle for less. If you're not 100% in, then get 100% out of the program. Close quote. So I guess that settles the question of whether Dalton Keene's leaving from the NFL because he's mad at Fuente. <laughs> right. <laughs> Doesn't sound like it. Yeah, uh, and Christian Darasaw responded to Dalton Keene and said... And said, um, thank you, DK, with two exclamation points. Right. And then Josh Fuga uh, put this out there. He said, quote, the way y'all talk... Out y'all neck is funny, but gotta be the dumbest things I read. I'm gonna just stay out of it with a laughing emoji. Close quote. Oh, that I, that actually wasn't the quote that I read. Oh, okay, never mind. All right, maybe uh, he that had, he had, no. He had another one where, in a response to the original, the oh yeah, here it is. Tweet. I'm sorry, you're right. I'm sorry. He did say that. I'm, yeah. I'm assuming that is a now, part that is of it. Funny. I'm glad you read it. <laughs> uh, he quoted the t- the same tweet from that burner account and said, "quote It is a player's choice to enter the portal. If they enter, that means." All caps. They don't want to be here. Then he goes low, uh, lower caps. So why keep them? They not welcome back if they enter. Simple. You either 110% committed to the work and grind or not. Talk out your neck right now with a laughing emoji. Close <laughs> quote. All right. Now All that right. is way more emphatic than what Fuente said. Uh, so so <clears throat> just right. your thoughts seeing the players I, I, over the I, weekend well, on social media. First of all, two of those guys – Darisaw was definitely the best player on offense this past year. You could make a strong argument that Keene was the second best player. So when you have your best players on the team backing up the head coach, that's a good thing. Yeah. Right. And the guys that are transferring are generally speaking transferring because they're not playing. And anybody who's played sports before in any organized setting always knows that there's players on the team who feel, feel wrong by the coaching staff. Every team in existence in the history of the world has always had at least one or two guys on the team that feels wronged. Oh yeah. For 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 whatever reason. Now it's more in football because you're dealing there's more with more guys. Uh, there's more players. There's, there's 85 over. scholarship players and 20 walk-ons. Right, exactly. Um, I mean, and you know, 10 or 11 coaches, and there's so when you got that many people in one organization, not everybody's going to see eye to eye. But it's important that you know the best players on the team be behind the head coach and. Uh, just on that limited sample size that we see, I mean, that, that's very much the case here. Um, so I'm, I'm good with it. And I've always thought that culture was more important to Virginia Tech than recruiting rankings. Um, what's more important? Like, like Virginia Tech's program will never be based around five-star and four-star recruits. It's going to – the foundation of this program, and like most programs, is going to be three-star recruits, So which, mean, which means – Culture is important. You, you can't have guys who who aren't bought in. 
Uh, and if a guy isn't bought in, if he's complaining about his playing time, and I would not even, I wouldn't waste one second trying to talk him into coming back, unless I thought he was a really young player who was making a mistake, who I and I thought had a really good long-term um, future. But like Ladler, like Ladler, we heard during this past season that Ladler was upset about his playing time, and he told the coaches about it this past season. And the coaches were basically like, you're behind Chamari Connor, who's a good player, a better player in our eyes. And a younger but, player, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, so Connor is our guy over you. Um, your future is as a backup and as a key special teams contributor. And by and, the way, everyone will always remember the two plays you made against UNC. Right, you right, right. have right. your chances. Right, right, of course. Um, now, so for Ladler, that's, that wasn't good enough. He wants more playing time, so he's leaving. If I'm Fuente, I'm not trying to talk him into staying because if you talk him into staying and he comes back and you could lie to him and say, oh, we got a new defensive scheme this year. We think you're a great fit and you got a great chance to start. So let me let me give you an example. And, and this is this is silly and personal. It's not silly, but it's personal. So uh, Malcolm played three years of AAU ball. OK, All right, Malcolm. Now, now the team he was AAU basketball. Now, the team he was on was 13 kids. And he was about the 11th or 12th best player. Congratulations, Malcolm. So you weren't, you weren't come last. On, Will. He's the, <laughs> that's, just, that's just dad facts. Man. Was, come on. Now, hey, hey, the flip side of that is I watched him play rec ball one year, uh, and over the course of the first game and a half of the season, he scored his team's first 22 points <laughs> before some other kid finally scored. Radford is really deep in talent. So this, <laughs> well, seriously, Radford basketball. So, right. so, so Malcolm was a was a, a very good rec league player, but he was that kid on the AAU team who was good for practicing. And I, and I told him, I said, even if you don't play, you know, you're you're gonna you're gonna get good practice against good players and and basketball would come become a lifelong thing for you and i'm not wrong about that am i malcolm no i see he still plays pick up ball today so anyway so he plays the first year and he doesn't get off the bench much he plays the second year he doesn't get off the bench much so then uh, a different coach comes up to me in the next year and says hey we're thinking about putting malcolm on the aau team and i looked at that coach and i said here's a deal he's been on two aau teams and he's barely played at all We've done a lot of traveling and invested a lot of time. If you want him on your team, I got to know that he's going to play and make it make it worth our while. And the coach said, "I will play." Well, what do you think happened? You know. So I thought of that when Chris said, "If you talk him into staying mm-hmm. and then you don't play him and right. he's still unhappy, right, et cetera, right. et cetera. It creates a to- toxic atmosphere. I am toxic not saying Malcolm was a locker room cancer. Right, right, he, got, right. He, he was fine. But it's like, one of those things where, you know, at the end of September, you're sitting in the locker room and the player's like, man, Fuente told me I was going to play this year and I'm not playing. And the players start complaining in the locker room. It gets toxic and things like that. You don't want that to happen. So – yeah, you don't re-recruit them. You don't try to talk them into staying. You be honest with them. Say, look, you're going to play like eight to ten snaps a game, if that, on defense, and we're going to play you a lot on special teams, and that's it. Well, um, I think, I think it choice. also probably goes to, uh, goes to show, even though I don't know this for a fact, but you know, Fuente being a player's coach, I think Fuente probably wants the best for his guys. Wouldn't he rather go see them succeed? If they know they're not going to, you know what I mean? Like, he, care, yeah. well, he cares about well, his guys. Whether I mean, I, I think. I'm sure he cares about Khalil Lab well, and Hezekiah Grimsley. I th- I'm sure he would love to have, well, he certainly would, would love Grimsley back. He's made no, he's he's made it very clear how he feels about Grimsley yeah. throughout the years. Um, I'm sure he would love to have the depth. 
maybe one or the one or two of those guys. Because you might need that guy in a six overtime yeah, I mean, game. You, you never know. But at the same time, it's not. You can have an unhappy player if he's really, really good and dominant, right? But what's the point of having unhappy backups? Yeah. Good point. It just doesn't doesn't I'll, make any I'm sense. I'm also going through Twitter right now, and on February 7th, again, that was what, uh, Friday? Today's the 10th. Yeah. Uh, Trey Turner, quote, Everybody on the outside want to talk about VT in the offseason with a laughing emoji. Learned this lesson in January of 2018, close quote, with an emoji. I think he meant January of 2019. No, I think he did, yeah. Yeah, but. So, you know, I, one thing I, I do want to bring up, though, is is going back to the tweet from, from Dalton Keene about you're either 100% in it with this program and 100% or you're 100% out. I mean, do you, to me, it just it brings up the uh, an interesting conversation because I feel like the tech fan base as a whole is just kind of all over the place when it comes to Justin Fuente, to be totally candid. And my question is, you know, you look at what he's done and you look at how the players care about Justin Fuente. There's no doubt the players that, that are in Justin Fuente's corner you see him on social media. Why doesn't the fan base as a whole just see that the players he's and the next, rally he's, behind he's Justin Fuente? He's the next Fuente. coach after Frank Beamer. And, and he's just, to me, it just brings up a big argument. And, he, and he's not he's – not, I think he's good in the locker room with, with the players as far as – like you could see you could see pictures like of his emotions after big wins this past year. And yeah. I think it's – him talking to a player one-on-one or in a team meeting is just so much different than when he has a camera in front of him. It's all about the camera, man. I've sat in his office before, me and one other person, for with a Justin Fuente interview – Fuente not behind the lectern, but sitting on a couch while I'm sitting on a couch and the other guy's sitting in a chair, kind of like this, kind of like we're all talking right now. And it was fine. Perfectly normal. If our fan base had seen that, they would like the guy. He was perfectly normal. Had his cowboy boots on, man. He was a, he was a human being. When you put 15 people in there and behind the lectern in a formal setting, he's not as good. And that's, that's what the fan Most people aren't. Right. It, it's not are. his personality. Some people are what I call hams. They right. like being in front of people. Right. You know, and, and, and in a sense, performing. Some people don't. Yeah. You know, and, and, and he's one of those guys. And, and that's part of it. He's, he's, he's just he's not good at the mass and communication. L- let's, let's not sit here and act like other coaches don't make these same mistakes. We just don't pay any attention because it's not our coach. You know, not, yeah. Now it's our coach, so we pay attention. Dabo Swinney. Oh, the stuff he said this past year about how college players shouldn't be paid. That's that's juicy on the recruiting trail. That, right, I'm, right, I'm right, sure right. ESPN, you, you turned, can, ESPN turned that into a headline, sure. I'm, I'm sure. Probably. Oh, they, probably. They, uh, so, you know, if, if you're Alabama and you're recruiting against Clemson, you can be like, oh, we, we, none of us can pay you legally. But you know, their, their coach doesn't even, doesn't even want you to get yours. Yeah. You know, Clemson's coach doesn't think you deserve it. <laughs> Didn't slow them down. Right, 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 right. Five, five stars in the twenty. Right, right, class. and th- and that's why I don't think this will hurt Tech. And yeah, I, I personally don't yeah. think it's going to hurt. Yeah, and and I and I've said on the uh, I've said on the boards, people are like, well, who cares? This will blow over." And I said, "No, it'll live for a year or two on the recruiting trail." And eh, I'm probably being overly dramatic, and I should probably just shut up about that. Again, this was all from the press conference on Wednesday. Uh, Justin Fuente in the media. Still staying with Virginia Tech football. Our last topic before we get to questions on Facebook Live. Be sure to start dropping those now. Malcolm will get to them. Uh, would you have to talk about the XFL? 
which, by the way, Will, I figured out for uh, the two of us who uh, our NFL teams will probably never win a Super Bowl for quite some time. I think we just pick the best XFL team. We cheer for them. And we'll be happy in some regard with football. So. I got I got to be a bandwagon fan. Wait and see yes. who's winning. So so real real quick. <laughs> I don't. Did you guys get a chance to watch any? I, of it I don't watch weekend? any of it. Very, very little it, bit. I heard it was entertaining. I loved it. Yeah, loved it. And this is not the point we're going to talk about. There's a Virginia Tech tie to it, but I mean, from the referees being mic'd up with the uh, the booth review, and you hear word for word what they're talking about is awesome the, i actually like that kind of transparency it yeah. was great that part they've got a uh, great sideline interview i mean but it, you know what it no, was no, i watched a, a documentary on the xfl what happened in 03 it's not like the it's different you can it's tell that wrestling. vince mcmahon it's, has it's not he learned me. i mean they've got oliver luck andrew luck's dad as the commissioner yeah, i mean yeah, right, right so i actually think it's you know i they were great on social media this week the xfl i think it's i think it can survive but Two Hokies making headlines this weekend in the XFL. One was a great positive. <laughs> one was kind of a negative. Uh, we'll start with the positive, and that was that Cam Phillips scored the first touchdown of the weekend uh, and the first touchdown of the return of the XFL, 50-yard touchdown. Great to see Cam Phillips back. But the other headline was yesterday the first player ejected in the XFL was <laughs> former Hokies defensive lineman Ricky Walker, who – I saw it and immediately thought, okay, it was targeting or something. But Ricky Walker threw a punch at a player and was ejected. So, so who do those guys play for? Actually, I need to look this up. Yeah, he's gonna have to I'm look just, it he's up. He's gonna have to look it up. I, I, meanwhile, I will hijack the thread by saying that I love what they do with kickoffs. Yeah, no, what do they do? Explain that what, a little yes, bit? please explain. That. So the uh, the kicker lines up at the thirty instead of the thirty five, so it makes it more likely to be a returnable kick. Mm -hmm. And uh, the two teams. Uh, um, so the kicker's at his 30, and the two teams line up at the other end of the field at about the 30 or 35-yard line. I'm not sure where it is. But they line up along lines, and they're right in front of each other. So there's there's none of this running downfield for 30 and 40 yards before your first collision. And, and, and you don't start until the guy catches it? Correct. Yeah, here okay. we go. Malcolm, yeah, so, look so, at you. You are Johnny So on he's on it. So, okay. so what he's showing on the TV is a kickoff. So what happens is the kickoff goes down the field. The guy fields it at the 5 or 10-yard line. And everybody coming at him is, a, is at a much lower rate of speed. It's almost like two lines of scrimmage blocking each other. Yep. Now, uh, I didn't watch a lot of this, so he's going to hit. Oh, it won't behave. Twitter videos just don't behave for me. Uh, there we go. There you go. That would be nice Look to see that. this. So I think it's interesting. Uh, the, 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 yeah, let Chris see it. Rewind it one more time there, Malcolm. And, and Twitter videos always freeze. If you, if you max them, they always freeze like five seconds in. And that's what's happening. So for those listening right now, I can't see it again. It's uh, so anyway. So the the kick goes down the field. The guy starts to return it, and these and these two lines of players who are, who are literally just twenty yards in front of him. Um, number one, it gets rid of the high speed collisions. Um, number two, I think it makes a return more likely because the players are yeah. more spread out. Correct. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens as far as how many kickoffs result in returns for touchdowns. So, yeah, so there. You, there will be some interesting strategies and X's and O's that yeah. develop out of this yep. as time yep. goes by. I think it's cool. I think the NFL should do it that so way. So Cam Phillips plays for the Houston Roughnecks of the XFL. Those are oil rig workers. They call them Roughnecks. Yeah, and they've got the very similar logo to the Houston Oilers, formerly mm -hmm. of the NFL. Oh, very nice. similar yeah. logo. Uh, and then uh, Ricky Walker 
Um, who, by the way, it is confirmed, he is the first player in XFL history, going back to the one year of it, no three to ever be ejected uh, in the <laughs> XFL. Uh, but he plays for the Tampa Bay Vipers. So you've got some interesting. I can talk, but you've got so you've got um, Mar- uh, Bob Stoops coaching uh, the Dallas team. Landry Bob Stoops. Jo- yeah, he came out of retirement to coach. Well, he doesn't have to recruit. He's got Landry Jones as his quarterback, who he played for at Oklahoma in 2013 and 12. Uh, you've got uh, a couple of other um, interesting connections, names, former Giants offensive coordinators, coach of the Giants team. Cardell Jones is the quarterback of the D.C. team. Of course, Hokie fans remember him yeah. playing in Lane Stadium. It's, in so, it's so interesting so. Uh, to see guys like Stoops. He's now coaching the XFL. And the least stressful part of his job at Oklahoma was coaching football. But dealing with 118 to 22-year-old kids and having to recruit them yeah. and the things you have to do to recruit these days yeah. are what pushed him out of college He's coaching. just their coach? Um, somebody told John Beeline, on paper, it made no sense for him to go to college to the NBA, right? From Michigan to the NBA. That guy's a college coach, not an NBA coach. He told somebody that I know that the reason he – left was because he was tired of dealing with the quote bs and recruiting yeah in other um, words the parents right, and, right. and the handlers the aus and, and and all that stuff uh so it's interesting just to see guys like that that you know could be making a whole lot of money coaching in college if they if they wanted right. to be a guy like stoops choosing to coach at this level of football instead yeah. for yeah. a lot less money because it's just so much less stressful so the question is a will you guys watch the xfl this coming weekend for week two and b uh just thoughts again on Cam Phillips getting another shot and hopefully Ricky Walker coming back. I think back Phillips is one of their top picks in yeah, their he XFL was. draft. He was. Which is no surprise because he got he was a fringe guy in the NFL. He's played a little bit for the Bills. Yes. Um I think he has one or two career catches. Um so he, he was a fringe guy. Sixth and, round and, of the XFL draft. And, and you know, you, you could potentially see him back in and how long was the XFL season last? I think it goes till April. So there's okay. eight teams in the league, four in each division. I think it goes till April. Okay, so it'll, so we'll basically go up until the draft. The draft, yeah. and, I, and and then see. the draft oh, will end. Fact, and many I think, will start. I think I remember their their playoffs either start the day after the draft, okay. or they have their championship game the day uh, okay. uh, before or after the draft. Okay. So it's right around that time. Period. Right, right, right. And then whenever they're done, mini camps start up. And people start talking about the NFL again, and that's a slot they're looking to fill, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility that you know, if you have a good year in the XFL, Cam Phillips could find him back, yeah, in an NFL training camp uh, next year. And you know, the interesting thing is about that, you go right, you go right from the NFL to an XFL, or excuse me, you go from the XFL to an NFL training camp. Yeah, you haven't been on the couch or at the beach all summer like some of these other guys. Oh. So so maybe maybe you have a bit of an advantage over some other fringe guy who did not spend the offseason actually playing football. Then there's that moment where you run out for a kickoff and you line up on the wrong side of the field. <laughs> yeah. So, the, uh, so I'm laughing during this conversation. I'm trying to just picture the Pac-12 <laughs> referees who officiated the 2011 Sugar oh, Bowl oh gosh. Uh, being miked in the booth. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I, I highly encourage, if you haven't seen it, go watch a replay of the booth operator making the call, talking with the official. And for so many – I don't know if the NFL is a little bit different. Everyone says it. Or even college, oh, it takes long or whatever. You listen to this conversation, they're clear, they're concise, and they're quick. I mean, you hear them talk, okay, so – They know they better be. 
So because they're going to be scrutinized if they're not. So by the way, the championship is on April 26th. It's a 40 regular season game, three playoff games, two division champions, and then um, their Super Bowl. Do you know if they have if they have any games like uh, during the week at night? Um, I don't. It does yeah. not say. I think they're all Saturday Sunday though. They're going to have. Uh, a couple games Saturday, a couple games Sunday. ESPN and Fox have the games. Oh, okay. Um, uh, and, actually, uh, that's what I was going to ask is what channels they were. Yeah. So that's the thing. And so there was the American Alliance or the AAF that started in 2018 that already folded very quickly. Yeah. That was on CBS Sports. That was very hard to watch. <laughs> yeah. But this was on ESPN and Fox. So it was well televised. Uh, the average salary is fifty five thousand a year. Which, if you're on ESPN and Fox, that's yeah. that's probably and doable. the it's winner of each game, the team split a hundred thousand dollars amongst oh, yeah. the team, each game. So if you win hundred grand, and their split. rosters are only like forty five guys, yeah. right, or or fifty so, guys. So that's so a couple you're, grand from winning the game. Exactly. So yeah. all right, and, so and, real quick before we get to questions, I'm curious. I'm going to name off the eight teams, their nicknames, and you got to pick what team you're cheering for. Okay, Will right. Stewart and Chris Coleman. All, all right. right. Okay. All right. So we've got the Dallas Renegades. D.C. Defenders, nope. L.A. Wildcats. New, there we go. Malcolm's got the mascots up there. New York Guardians, the St. Louis Battle Hawks, the Seattle Dragons, and the Tampa Bay Vipers. Dead air. And the Houston uh, Roughnecks. I, I, I do like that Roughnecks to throw back to the Oilers. That's nice. Uh, Wildcats does nothing for me. There's too many of those. Uh, what is New York Guardians? The Guardians. Oh. I'm going with the Defenders. <laughs> I'm cheering for D.C. Uh, I'm going for the D.C. Defenders. I don't do D.C. sports at all, so no. I hope they finish last. <laughs> I, I, I like the Dragons. Uh, like, I, I saw a little bit of a Dragons game, and I thought their uniforms looked cool, but I think I'd feel like I was rooting Plus, for Plus, if you UA. cheer for Houston, Chris, you've got, uh, like, Cam, you got Cam Phillips there. So. Yeah, that's true. I like that Renegades. Yeah, okay, he's pretty good. I like that Renegades logo. Um, there we go. I don't I'll, know. I'll go I'm, Renegades. I'm, I'm undecided. Well, okay, undecided. The, the Renegades logo reminds me of uh, Red Dead Redemption. Malcolm, yeah. as I toss it over uh, to you for questions, do you want to pick a team here? I'm probably going with the Roughnecks. Okay. Cam Phillips, first yeah. touchdown. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Uh, that was fun. Going down that path. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have a choice there. at this point. That's, but, again, two Hokies in the XFL. All right, Malcolm, the best producer in the land. What's Three, going on actually, on Facebook? Colton Taylor, that's long snapper. Not sure who he plays for. But yeah. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. <clears throat> Uh, we'll start with John Houchins. Overall impression of Vic, biggest positive, biggest misrepresentation. I haven't watched it. Uh, I I, <laughs> I have it. not finished watching it. Out of the four hours, I've probably watched three hours of it. Um, I thought the biggest positive to come out of it was just watching and listening to Michael. Um, I was thinking about, you know, he came out of the projects in Newport News and and just when it when it came to talking to the media and speaking how rough he was at the beginning when he was just 18 19 years old oh, yeah. you know and and uh he's very composed in front of a camera and um i just it, it's hmm how do i put this he's a guy who has thought a lot about himself and his life and and his and he didn't he didn't overplay this he was very um uh, factual about stuff and very honest about things and uh, it, it just it just is so true that and, and I, th I thought you know I, I think I'm guilty of not paying much attention to the whole thing you know there was some discussion of it of course on our message boards but I never really paid that much attention to it because I thought to myself early on 
I'm, I'm not real big on the whole dog thing. We haven't had a dog since I was a kid, so I don't feel a special bond or connection to dogs. So it didn't affect me in that way. Um, but I remember thinking early on, I don't think a lot of people understand the background he comes from where this is done and it's accepted Culturally and nobody, acceptable. nobody yeah. thinks anything of it. And he's learning now. And he talked about that stuff. He, he just flat said. He was so candid. Throughout said, the I, whole I was a kid. I'm 10 years old and I'm watching guys fight dogs and the cops roll up and they see what they're doing and they just keep going. What does that tell you? If, if you're 10 years old and the cops look at something and drive off, what's the connection you make in your mind? Oh, this is okay. Now, the, the thing I thought was kind of uh, kind of might make you shudder a little bit. And, and, and again, he and Tony Taylor, I think, is, is another guy's name. And. Quan, I, I can't yeah, remember Quan's full up. name. He said when they started getting into dog fighting, they just basically said the first time they saw it, they didn't use the phrase "I was hooked." They said hey, it, it was interesting to me. You know, they they just were very honest about, yeah, I saw this and I wanted to get into it, yeah. and that just kind of makes you go, ugh. So that's not that not exactly a positive. I, I didn't I didn't watch it. Um, honestly, I, I'm not interested in watching it. I'll be honest, totally honest with you. Uh, what he did after his Virginia Tech career, I mean, I know that story. And I'm sure I could watch it and learn some new things. But an interesting documentary to, to me would be about his life at Virginia Tech, what he did to Virginia Tech, how it transformed the university. I mean, to me, my biggest impression of him was after one game in 2000 when he was a sophomore. He was standing on the street outside the Merriman Center. And I went up to him, I was 17 years old, and I asked for his autograph. And he had a cop next to him. And he, and he looked at me and said, no, I, I can't sign. Uh, the cop was following him around to make sure he wasn't signing autographs. You know, I guess to make sure he wasn't selling them, to, which, would make, which would make Virginia Tech go on probation and everything like that. So this guy's 19, 20 years old. He's got a cop following him around everywhere to make sure he doesn't do things to get Virginia Tech put on probation. I mean, the, the whole... Being in the spotlight was so new to Virginia Tech that they had a cop following him around yeah. all the time. And it's things like that that people don't talk about. Those are the interesting stories to, to, to me. And, uh, you know, as, as far as his NFL career and everything like that, I don't want this to sound bad, but I'm, just, I'm not all that interested. Well, and to be honest, I didn't follow him all that closely in the NFL either. I'll give it from this perspective. So growing up for me, I was, what, 11 10 11 around 09 10 and so for me my first michael vick me getting introduced to michael vick was like my first memory was him getting signed by philadelphia that was like the first thing that i personally remember so i remember going to see him in his first year with philly play in washington i made a sign score your first touchdown vick i still have it actually. <laughs> so this would have been uh, 20 this would have been 2010 i think uh, or uh whatever his first year 09 okay, or 10 right. they played in landover yeah. and he was still the backup to mcnab at the time and I bought his jersey, and I was all in. Just, you know, I, I love his talent. But for me personally, the thing that I took away from the documentary most is just that Michael Vick messed up, but boy, did he has he made the most of his, his second chance. We talk a lot about second chances in life, and, I mean, he has done everything the right way. Oh, yeah. Most... He's an activist for the Humane Society, and he still does work for them to this day. It wasn't just and, something... And, and that, everybody I mean, says he's very honest about that. He that. is a... I think Michael Vick is a great person. He made the most of his second chance, and gosh, I would support him anywhere publicly because Mo of what... I mean, he, he he's done everything Most right. people don't change. 
I mean, yeah. they do to a certain extent, but they, but unless he's doing a really good job of hiding it, he's he's changed his lifestyle completely. Uh, he's learned a lot of lessons. Um, a lot of people, when they get in trouble and they start down one path, but they, they never they never get off that path, right? And and he clearly has it. You know, it took it took a couple of years in prison. Of course, it took a wake up call. But you know that that's what that's what people need sometimes. Uh, good as knows his brothers had plenty of them, and it hasn't helped him any. Right. Yeah. Not, talk not, about talk about two completely different personalities. Yeah. So so anyway, I, I'm just I'm I'm personally very I, I obviously I don't know him, but I'm I'm just happy to see someone like him succeed after everything that's happened to him where he is in life now i mean good good for michael vick so you know that there's there's a lot of people out there that just are are they're a product of their environment and their culture or they just make mistakes you know and, and i remember when when we had jonathan fisher on talking about um you know he he deals with a lot of traffic and dui defense and, he, and he's starting to focus now on dui defense because he's a, had a, has a lot of experience in it and he's really good at it so I think people, a lot of people have the knee-jerk reaction of, oh, you're a scumbag lawyer who's trying to get drunk drivers off. And that's not the way he views it. He said something like uh, the vast majority, like 80 or 90% of his clients, this is the first time anything like this has ever happened to them, that they've been in any trouble at all. And they know they've done wrong. Right. You know, and, and, and there's a lot of that going around. I think people tend to paint things in, in, in black and white. And I don't mean racial colors. I mean, you know, very stark terms. Um, what what Mike did was bad, but it it doesn't mean he's a bad person because he, when confronted with it, he dealt with it and has and has grown from it. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for the question, John. Gosh, I forgot we were asking answering a question. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right, uh, we've got one more from David Witt. Max Preps last week had Demetrius Davis. As the number two quarterback in the nation in the, the country, twenty twenty one class. Yeah, we still able to sign him. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, barring a coaching change, uh, I think he's dead set on Virginia Tech. He's just not a guy I'm worried about. Well, you know, if if you read the quotes from him and his dad, um, I think what Virginia Tech offers them is what they are looking for, which is uh, a a chance to come to a place that. Uh, I mean, it's a good place to be in terms of uh, the level of play and the facilities and the coaching staff, but it's not a high-pressure um, environment where you're under a microscope mm-hmm. where, and there's a lot of hysteria over it. And that's what he and his dad are looking for. Um, this is just not a kid that I see, you know, uh, you never say never, you know, right. but uh, what do you got? You got 10, uh, 10 months to go mm-hmm. before signing day? And I don't think people are going to be able to turn this kid's head just by, you know, waving stuff in front of it. He's a big recruiter right now on, on Twitter. I mean, he's, yeah. you can tell how much he's he's engaged with, with recruits. and so His Rolodex is pretty full, apparently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he He's he's really working hard to build a team around him and to help the coaching, Virginia Tech coaching staff yeah. build a team around him. And yep. speaking of working hard, how about we close the podcast with this note that just came out from Ian Rappaport, NFL Insider for the NFL Network. The Ravens signed safety Chuck Clark to a three-year contract extension worth $19 million. Sources said he gets $10 million in guarantees as Baltimore keeps taking care of the future now. Clark was pretty much like the perfect defensive back for Virginia Tech. The guy could play any position. Yeah. He was so versatile, he could play anywhere back there. Whether I don't know how much corner he played, but, but I remember one spring he was a full-time corner and was great. 
And but generally, you know, he was a rover, nickelback, free safety. Um, but his versatility, man, I, it, there have been very few Chuck Clarks, uh, in my opinion, that could play so many different spots in the secondary. He might be like the most unique defensive back in tech history and he's not an exceptional athlete or anything like that obviously he's a good enough athlete you have to have a certain mm-hmm. level of athleticism to play in the nfl but uh his his football iq and his intelligence are, are hard to match where is he from uh he is from he's from virginia beach suffolk virginia he played for uh king's fork oh gosh joe jones was his high school coach uh-huh. who, who played tight end for tech in the 1980s yeah. Yeah. you know what i love about this story so he was the sixth round pick 186 overall in 2017 worked his way up big contract extension and personally for me as a younger Hokie doesn't know a lot of the past I always remember him as the uh, interception of what Matt Johns to secure the win for Tech against UVA and the bowl game oh, for uh, Frank Beamer yeah, in his final yeah, that season was Chuck, wasn't it? Chuck yep. Clark that's how I'll always remember him so uh, cool to see him get that contract extension all right that's going to do it uh here uh for the tech sideline podcast episode 116 on monday february 10th a lot of great uh topics discussed today and as we always do closing the podcast chris coleman best managing editor in the land it's coming up on tsl this week you know i haven't had a chance to look at my uh day planner yet i know there's no midweek basketball game thank goodness um i'll do a basketball article at some point most likely continue my scouting reports and i think i've got a couple other things written down i just don't remember what they are yet gotcha it is early on monday will yeah, anything is. coming up for you this week no i haven't had a chance to think about it either you know I, I know i've got some uh i've got boring stuff that doesn't affect content that i need to work on so that's it there we go all right reminder to follow us on social media we're at tech sideline on twitter facebook and instagram if you're watching on youtube Be sure to like and subscribe. It is much appreciated. All right, that's going to do it for episode 116 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Thanks so much for listening in. For the best producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart, behind the scenes on our podcast set, our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart. I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes, saying so long. Thanks so much for listening and watching. This has been episode 116 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm.